Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Um, it's late. Yeah. It's stuffy in your apartment. I'm sorry. There's no circulation here. I don't know what it is. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and we've got, drumroll, podcast business to All take right. care of real quick. We need like a podcast business like little sting, like a little theme. That's what we need to do uh, is draw it out more. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, like, imagine like a, like a Paul Schaefer, Paul Schaefer writing something for us, you know, a little podcast business ditty, get people excited. I know some musicians. I'll see if they can put something together. Um, yeah, I don't want to edit it into the show. Yeah. No, <laughs> um, no. Uh, what do we need to talk about? First off, we need to talk about Battleship Pretension videos. Right. And our, our video show, our new sort of, um, the new wing of the Battleship Pretension Empire, although this is sort of a right. test wing. Yeah. Um, and that's where you guys come in. Uh, please watch these. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is not how um, I thought that was going to go. No, uh, I mean, it would, it would definitely help us if you watch them, but um, I, I want you guys to watch these videos, which you can find at battleshippretension.com or just search on YouTube for Battleship Pretension. Um, but yeah, if you go to battleshippretension.com, there's a, uh, along the top, there's a bunch of links and one of them says video mm-hmm. and that'll take you right, right? It'll take you to the to these episodes yeah well and okay. also um on the side there's a youtube button that'll take you to our youtube channel that you has go. them yeah so there's a lot of ways that you can get to them um and so i want you guys to watch them a because it would really help us if we could just get people watching them mm-hmm. but also because i'm really really proud of them you know i am as well um, um it's it, i mean i guess we can we can say like who is responsible yeah, for them uh, yeah. blogger matt warren friend of the show as well mm-hmm. uh the three of us, along with uh, Lane, who uh, works. See, with Matt. you said Matt's last name, so you're locked into saying Lane's last name. But you don't remember what it is, and neither I, do I. I do not remember her <laughs> last name, Lane. I'm sorry. So, um, but anyway, so it's the, not the important. F- if you're as awesome as Lane, you don't yeah, need to. You don't need to exactly. Last name. It's just Lane. Yeah, like um, I'm only coming Monique. up. Monique. Yeah, right. Like Monique. Like Monique. <laughs> I'm sorry, Lane. So, um, but yeah, so the four of us uh, came up with with, uh, this format, and uh, Matt and Lane made it happen. Uh, We've gotten a lot of compliments on the technical quality. That is not a function of David uh, or me. And so. We didn't shoot it. We didn't edit it. Yeah. uh, We didn't. uh, Yeah, the uh, awesome opening, like the uh, opening titles, I guess you would say, were done by Adam Ribataro. Yeah. Based on the uh, design of our logo by Lance. Lieber. Lance Lieber. Music by Cole Pesak. Yes. Yeah. Uh, lots of people helped, and you can honor all of their memories. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> oh, this isn't going up until Sunday. Did I not get that email? Yeah, they'll all be dead by <laughs> oh, Sunday. Oh, okay. Um, you can honor all, uh, honor all of their work by watching them mm-hmm. and telling your friends to watch them. Yes, please do. Because they're good. Yes, it, and also it, it, yeah, thanks to Josh and and uh, and Susan, and probably by the time you're hearing this, Pat for yeah. uh, for showing up uh, for being on the on those shows. Uh, we'd love it if you watched them. We had a great time making them. We hope to get to make more. We probably will make at least a few more. Mm-hmm. Um, but whether or not it becomes a regular thing is is partially up to you. Indeed. So um, let's see what what else do we have? Uh, well. Um, the best way to hear Cole Pesach's music, oh yeah, is obviously yeah. through earbuds, mm-hmm. the, the pinnacle of sound delivery technology, right? Uh, and the best earbuds in the world can be found at tweakedaudio.com. dot com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what you do is you go to tweakedaudio.com. dot com. Mm-hmm. You uh, peruse their extensive selection of styles and colors. Yeah, for for earbuds, you pick the one. Um, or two or more, preferably more. Yeah. That um, that suit your fancy, and uh, you head put on them the, old, put them in the old shopping cart. Yes. In at checkout, when you're prompted to offer or when you're prompted to enter an offer code, mm-hmm. you enter the offer code pretension. That might be the most important thing we've said so far. Yeah. Not. I mean, obviously for us, it'll mm-hmm. be important because we're going to see a little of that. But also for you, it's important because if you enter the offer code pretension, you get a third off. Yeah. I mean, a third off of the price. 
and uh, <laughs> the headphones are still the same. Right? Yeah. No. 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 Those all the dimensions remain the same on the on the earbuds. This cord is really short. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, and a lot. By the way, a lot of people have been taking advantage of this, and and I, have you gotten one person saying? I regret having taken advantage of this. No, not at all. You get people emailing saying, thanks for the heads up about tweakedaudio.com and their earbuds because these are awesome. Absolutely. You know what? Those people aren't lying. Do you get emails saying that? They are awesome. Oh, okay. I I get, uh, I've gotten an email too. Or I get tweets more than emails. Oh, okay. People, and I'm not saying, I'm not lamenting this. People don't email me very often about the show anymore. Hmm. I think... Because I've become the Twitter face of the podcast, yeah. Um, which I kind of I'm, I'm okay with, because I'm okay with doing the work of promoting the show on the podcast. But I also feel bad that I have more followers than you. Oh, that's fine. Because I feel so. People, if you follow me, you should also be following at more lessons. I guess, but here's the thing: is because you are, you know, the pretension. Mm-hmm. That's like. I don't tweet anything. I mean, I tweet some stuff from here, to, you know, from here to there, yeah. from time to time, is what I should have uh-huh. said uh, about the show, like the like the videos and that sort of thing. But for the most part, at more lessons is the Twitter handle for more, more than, than one lesson. lesson. Okay, so that's what most of it will be. Now right. you'll still also get the occasional photo of my cat Charlie. You will sure. also get some of my weird late night thoughts about how I can't get the theme from RoboCop out of my head. By the way, here's a fun thing. Tweet any those who are on Twitter. Tweet anything about RoboCop. You'll see. Okay. So. Um anyway, uh all this is to say that uh tweakedaudio.com makes a great product. You can get it for a great price price by entering the offer code pretension at checkout. And I like I said, a lot of people have done this, and I'm sure some of them did it for a good price on earbu- on great earbuds. But I also get the impression they they do it to out of support for us, and so and we it's really a great do appreciate way it to support us. We get some yeah. money, you get an awesome product and a good deal. Yeah, um, more on great ways to support us next week. Indeed, end podcast business. Um, oh, you know what? I do have a, one little bit of podcast business. Okay. Uh, podcast business addendum. Postscript. Uh, okay. So uh, last week, we uh, – you know what? Actually, I like that you did that. That was mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. So uh, the uh, last week, I was talking about um, a discussion that I had had with Scott Nye, uh, blogger in front of the show, mm-hmm. and I sort of mangled his views on um, like Michael Bay and that sort of thing. And so okay. um, it was s- sort of similar to that, but I feel like I, I really should let our bloggers and stuff speak for themselves, especially when it's like, hey, this is their view that I don't agree with. Certainly I can be trusted to uh, relay it perfectly, right? <laughs> but, so, by the way, I... So Scott, yeah, writes awesome uh, uh, reviews and stuff for us. He covered uh, AFI Fest mm-hmm. uh, for us and the Turner Classic Movies uh, Festival um, and has just always jumping at uh, – champing at the bit to review uh, awesome Blu-ray releases. He's a, a great asset to the site. He also contributes other places. Mm-hmm. And a couple weeks ago, I ran into him at a press screening. He was there seeing it for another uh, outfit – and I thought I didn't think anything. I was like, "Oh, who are you here for?" And he was like, "Next, you know, I'm getting emails from him." But he almost seemed defensive, like, like I'd caught him doing something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, David, what but, are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, obviously the proof is in the pudding. You can compare me and Scott's reviews of Mirror Mirror uh, <laughs> at different sites. But uh, yeah, well, we encourage you to check out. Uh, our blogger stuff on other on other sites as Absolutely. long as you also read them on our site. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he come back home. Yeah, yeah. Kyle Anderson writes for lots of places. Oh yeah. Um, Daniel Bergamini has his own. Yeah, the deleted scene. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's more, but uh, I know Matt. We've we already we've already given Matt enough. Yeah, yeah. Props He's, this he'll, he'll be all right. Um. Anyway, but speaking of Twitter and using Twitter. Okay. I. Almost tweeted 
on the drive over here about something, but I am trying to tweet while driving less. Um, trying to be a safer driver. Trying to tweet less while driving. Not <laughs> trying to tweet, tweet while, while driving, driving less. less. I do drive less. Okay. I honestly, often my car will go unused during the weekday. During, okay. Uh, during the week. Uh, only on weekends. I love driving. I hate it. Oh my gosh, you're crazy. I mean, I like getting on the freeway. Yeah. And But not at the freeway here. I like getting on the freeway where there's open road. I hate... Wait, okay, you live like Batman hours, so you obviously have the... the if, if I lived your hours, I would love driving around too. Damn right. But it's dr- the best. Try to, you live in North Hollywood. I do. Try getting to where I work. I'm not going to say what part of town that is. At rush hour in the morning. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, take that job. <laughs> I try doing it every day. It's awful. Well, let me th- let me pose this to you. Uh, that that does sound awful. Traffic is terrible. And now, but um, now I take the bus. Even though I go a little bit out of my way, it takes me about the same amount of time to take the train down to a certain stop and then get on a bus and take the bus to a you know a different stop near my work. And I get a lot of reading done. I listen to listen to podcasts. I guess I listen to podcasts while driving. I re- I return emails on my smartphone. Well, let me throw. That's so dangerous. Let me throw this out. Oh, no, on the bus. Yeah, on the bus. Well, let me throw this out there. Imagine that you work from home and that the only reason you ever have to leave is if you give yourself an errand. Suddenly, driving becomes a fun thing, an Uh adventure. I'll bet, yeah. So, because you're not, uh, you know, staring at your dumb cat and trying to convince yourself that he loves you. So... (laughs) The cat doesn't love... Charlie kind of loves me. Yeah. Anyway, so, okay, moving on. Okay, so, um, because I was behind on Twitter, uh, you know, it's been a rough, busy week at my at my day job. Uh, I like that I'm being especially cryptic about my day job this week. Usually I just don't mention it, but I'm like... A real <laughs> bloodbath. <laughs> um, uh, but um, I, uh, I was reading that apparently, and I don't know if this is set in stone yet, because I'm only reading 140 characters at a time, but that... Uh, Gary Ross will not be returning for the second Hunger Games film, Catching Fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and instead, Francis Lawrence. Director be, of? Uh, director of Constantine and I Am Legend. Right. Um, but mostly Constantine. That's that's the better film, I think. Um, You're joking, of course. No, I, I would pick Constantine over I Am Legend. What? They're both awesome movies. In I Am opinion. Legend was like your favorite, one of your top ten of that year. Was it? Yeah. I do uh, not I remember you saying the same for Constantine, although we did not have a show at the time. Yeah. I, the day Constantine came out on DVD, um, I worked at a video store, mm-hmm. took it home, watched it, and then immediately watched it again. Now, I own Constantine uh-huh. because Blockbuster, when I, when I worked there, was... Uh, giving away copies and so employees were could just take them so uh so i took that million dollar baby and how many times have you watched Constantine? none yeah it's you gotta watch there it. i can't quite bring myself to do it you have to watch it i know they, i mean it's um you've got tilda swinton as uh the angel gabriel right and you've got peter, peter stormare i know as satan i know how awesome is that you know what we should do? I'll tell you. Uh-huh. We should do an episode about the very... You know what? Okay. This is a bigger thing. We need to do a series. I know I've got... I've talked to you about maybe like eight series that we need to do, yeah. which would cover us for the next, I'm going to say, 120 episodes. Uh-huh. So, but one of them is taking various characters and then watching and then breaking down how they have been depicted in various films. Yeah. Now, this first came about because... Uh, back when Frost Nixon came out, and I wanted to to do an episode called called Depictions of Nixon, and uh, because he's been portrayed a lot, and I was like, it'd be interesting to see how uh, you know. And by the way, the portrayals of Nixon are almost always uh, a little shady. They're they're usually pretty negative, but but like uh, an episode about the way Satan has been depicted, I think that might be a good Halloween episode, David. Keep that in mind. Yeah. We could do Jesus. We could do Satan. We yeah. could kind of do God, in fact. But um, God tends not to be the main character in movies. God tends to be a cameo. Yeah, yeah. Um, with some exceptions. Most of them involving George Burns. Yeah. Um, or Jim Carrey. I never saw the. It's not terrible. Yeah? yeah. 
Um, but yeah, and you know, another episode idea. What's that? Is um, that we could do? It would be kind of navel gazing for us to do it. Oh, but, good. Um, and we we talked in our sort of two hundred fifty like uh, or you know five year anniversary about like how our lives have changed because of battleship pretension. But how has being a critic changed the way you think of movies? Because mm. I because I think maybe if I saw Constantine and I Am Legend. For the first time today, I would like Constantine more. Interesting. Um, and and that's, that is how I feel about it. I forget that I liked I Am Legend so much because when I think back on it now, I think about how heavily it is marred by its ending. Um, oh, yeah. And it's absolutely. tough for me to get past. Yeah. Even though it has some awesome stuff in it. Um, whereas uh, Constantine is just so much fun. <laughs> Well, it, let's let's it, let's save that conversation for an actual episode because I think we could actually get an episode out of it, and it'd be yeah. And we should we should we could have uh, someone we could have uh, Tim back, you know, yeah. other other critics. So, but oh, so Francis Lawrence, okay, Douglas Winton as the Angel Gabriel, Peter Stormare as Satan, Pruitt Taylor Vince as like an exorcist type uh, or like exorcist's assistant. I do like that. <laughs> I guess I got to see this movie. Yeah. Jen's out of town now. Maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll throw it in. Yeah, you should do that. Um, and you know, and the mo- main reason I brought this up was to talk about how I am a fan of Francis Lawrence. Uh, yeah, well, uh, mission accomplished on that. Because I start to, I mean, I, we're they're getting all over the place. We'll get to the topic in just a second. Um, but going back to the critic thing, I've started to worry that I am disliking all the stuff that my fellow uh, geeks and the geekier film uh, film fans than I am like you know i uh, after months years really of build up uh didn't care that much for the cabin in the woods and that wrote a negative review and part of me felt like was that a negative review yeah it didn't seem that negative to me it didn't seem overwhelmingly positive as it did everywhere else but it didn't seem you know yeah well you and i we don't do uh, you and i and our writers don't do a star system or a thumbs up thumbs down type of thing on the show um, so I will say, if it were a go-see or don't-go-see thing, I would have come down on the don't-go-see The Cavern of the Woods. Oh, that's unfortunate. I'm probably going to be seeing it tomorrow. Um, but uh, but that's – here's another topic. Oh, man. That review is how is what I think of Cavern of the Woods, not necessarily how I feel about it. Oh, man. If that makes sense. Yeah. Because I had fun watching it, but once it's over and I'm left – turning it over in my head yeah it it fell much further in my estimation that's how i was with warrior um is that uh the i thought the performances were as i've said before i thought the performances were really good and that and that sort of pulled me into it and then afterwards i'm like man that is not a smart film and there are a lot of things i don't like about it but uh but okay francis lawrence doing catching fire yeah i haven't read catching fire i've only read the hunger games i haven't read any of them so just based on gary ross's the hunger games which i liked a lot more than you did it's still my favorite film of 2012 oh boy I mean, it's only april and there hasn't been that much good stuff this year yeah um uh based on that well do you think that francis lawrence will keep with gary ross's style or will he make it more of a Francis Lawrence film? Keeping in mind that The Hunger Games isn't in what we would have thought of as Gary Ross's style. Right, and that's actually one of the problems that I had. Let's not do this. Uh, <laughs> th- yes, it seemed as though he was trying to do somebody else's style, and that's a problem that I have with it. Uh, no, I, I think he'll probably do it differently. I, I, people have noted uh, some of the shaky cam early on in, in the film. I think Francis Lawrence might do away with that, and I, I think he is. Yeah, he's not a shaky cam type director. Yeah, but he and he's he's much more, I think, comfortable within action and within the the action genre than Gary Ross is. Sea Biscuit aside, but uh, I mean, I, but even in Sea Biscuit, Gary Ross is more of an immediate like. Uh, almost impressionistic action director whereas uh francis lawrence and i do like the way he does action but it's Mm -hmm. more expressionistic it is 
is expanded. It, you know, it's it's grand the way he does because that's Francis Lawrence is a uh, above all he is a baroque director, um, and that's not an insult. I like his mm-hmm. his style because it's it's the I think his his uh, frames are definitely filled but not necessarily crammed. Well, I if I anyway, having not seen Constantine, what I did like about I Am Legend was how expertly he managed to combine action and suspense. Like that scene and knowing how much to play up the suspense right before the action. That scene where the sun is slowly but surely disappearing and all those zombies, vampires, whatever you want to call them, um infected mm-hmm. uh and they're just waiting for the sun to disappear. And you just and Will Smith is just watching it, and it goes on a while, mm-hmm. and it's just so it's just like oh my gosh, just do something else, or like please relieve this tension. Even if even if relief means that they're all going to come running at him. See, now at you're least starting to th- win me back to liking I Am Legend. It's pretty great, and uh, uh, and so like, and I'm a big defender of the Shrek scene. I love the I, Shrek. I think it's great. Yeah. I uh, I know our friend friend of the show Jason Eakin. Was not a fan of the of the Shrek scene, and there's uh, I don't know what the statute of limitations is, so I won't spoil I Am Legend. But there's a a scene with uh, Will Smith and his dog that is just to me unbelievable that that scene is in a like major like holiday season studio release. And and as as I've said before, I saw that at a at a like an AMC theater it was packed it was during the christmas season you know kids off from school i mean yeah. a big will smith film nobody talked uh-huh. ever and that can be that can be a surprisingly quiet film mm-hmm. and i feel like that speaks don't get me wrong like there are plenty of there are plenty of great movies that i've seen that people talk through that and that's not the director's fault but in a film like that where there are uncomfortable silences and nobody feels the need to talk I feel like that is a director who has the audience in the palm of his hand, and I feel like, you know, uh, he would make a, a nice addition to the Hunger Games, where there, there, the, the story of the Hunger Games, where there's action, but there's just as much suspense, and and you and the I've always I've always been a fan of using suspense to teach us stuff about the character. And and it gives the it gives an actor something to do. Not to imply that action doesn't. I mean, they're they're different things. But like, you know, uh, fear and dread can be incre- incredibly hard to play. I mean, we we talk about like scream queens and stuff like that, and it seems easy the way we talk about it. Mm-hmm. But listener, go and like go in front of the mirror and try to look genuinely terrified that you your life is going to be over. If such and such a thing happens, mm-hmm. like it's hard to do. And so I feel like, I feel like he's going to bring some really good yeah. sensibilities to the, then, to the series. And then try to do that with a whole crew of people standing around right. you, not in the scene. And then you will understand why Christian Bale yelled at that guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, um, now, Francis Lawrence is actually a, a good sort of segue into our topic here. Okay. Um, because we're already talking about catching fire um, in certain terms because of who will likely be directing it. Because Francis Lawrence has a reputation. That reputation is different for different people. I think. I think within the film critic community which i would uh sheepishly consider myself a part of uh we'll get there someday buddy i believe i am in the minority in liking francis lawrence i don't think that he is a critically adored uh filmmaker Hmm. i guess it depends on which critics you're talking about um i wonder what his rotten tomato scores are for his films Hmm. uh but um in any case simply because of the fact that I already have a feeling about Francis Lawrence, um, I'm going to go in with certain expectations. Mm -hmm. Just like people, maybe like yourself, who hadn't read um, The Hunger Games, uh, had an idea of its cultural 
the you know mark that it had made mm-hmm. um and had certain certain ideas about the film before you saw it you try to do away with those but you you can't necessarily i uh, that is very you know what you are very right so let's let's get into it shall we what we want to talk about is how does the reputation either of the film or of the filmmaker uh inform the way that you think about a film while seeing it or once you've seen it mm-hmm. i want to go with two recent examples i mean we talked about i'm talking about the home games here but two actual recent examples on my part one i recently saw uh, Darling Companion, the new film by uh, Lawrence Kasdan, his mm. first film since Dreamcatcher. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> and um, it had things in it that were maybe, not maybe, definitely a little corny. And I think if this were a first-time director or a someone I thought of as more of a hack or, or a hired hand, you know... Um, I would have written those elements off as corniness, but because I already have a p- generally positive feeling about about Lawrence Kasdan, um, I, I think of them as being, you know, uh, charmingly uh, populist additions to the film. Sort of like another great example. I don't think you've seen uh, Down and Out in Beverly Hills, the Paul Mazursky film, right? Uh, you haven't seen it. No. But you've seen Paul Mazursky films. You've seen uh, Harry and Tonto. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so you're predisposed to like Down and Out in Beverly Hills. And there are some sort of broad and shallow comedy moments in there that I would, I think I probably would have been harder on mm. if I didn't already want to give Paul Mazursky the benefit of the doubt. And i'm gonna, i'm doing all the talking because this is my idea for the that's fine for the episode so i want to get it all laid out first and then i will toss to you okay. um now obviously the gut reaction i think is that this is a bad thing to go in with preconceived notions but i also think as a critic instead of just a reviewer i think we are critics as well as reviewers i know there's a lot of overlap there but um it helps to have a more academic look at the career of a filmmaker and and be and have that in mind mm-hmm. um as someone who who is theoretically producing content discussions and reviews that are to one extent or another for posterity mm-hmm. even though i know that sounds very high-minded but you know i'd rather shoot for the stars <laughs> and so i do i do tend to think in terms of how will this review read when the film was not topical anymore. Right. Uh, okay. So that's darling companion. The other thing that got me thinking about this at the same time was, uh, I was recently sent and reviewed, uh, sent for, I had sent to me five Blu-rays. I reviewed, um, uh, Kino Lorber's, um, new ish, uh, cult horror imprint redemption films, mm-hmm. um, has released a lot of cool stuff. Um, uh, since, uh, coming out of the scene only a few short months ago. And one of them, uh, the sort of big like flagship uh, announcement release they did was five films, the cinema of Jean Roland. Mm-hmm. Um, and I watched and reviewed all five of them. They were the nude vampire, shiver, shiver of the vampires, the iron rose, um, another one and fascination. Fuck. What was the other one? I can't remember the name of it. It probably had vampires in the title. I'd say so, no. Yeah. Um, lips of blood. Uh, that sounds blood right. on the lips. Somehow. Lips of blood. I think lips of blood. Right. Okay. Um, and if I had seen any one of those without the context of it being put out by Kino Lorber or, or at least their uh, imprint um, or the context of the other five films or someone telling me these films have a reputation or are considered worthwhile. If I'd seen any one of them on their own, except maybe the Iron Rose, which I think is – kind of a masterpiece uh people should check that out i might not have liked them or at least i might not have given them the benefit of the doubt as much as i did um and uh, you know if i had just seen the the nude vampire on its own i would have written it off and i did in my review say this is seems like an early effort it's not you know it's not uh not fantastic uh same with fascination which i pretty much out and out disliked um which is at the other end of the of the of the uh chronology um, but 
because of the way they're being presented and what I know about their influence or reputation, I thought of it a different way. Mm-hmm. So that is the entire topic. It took me like more than five minutes to lay it all out. But these are the things that got me thinking about this topic. Tyler, what are your thoughts on that and your thoughts on the topic in general? I have a lot of thoughts. Okay. And they've been bouncing around. Um, yeah, a, a question that we've uh, we've asked variations of um, is the idea of objectivity and what that means. Now, we've usually spoken about objectivity – in the sense of how much of ourselves do we bring to a film? Do we try to shy away from that? Or do we recognize that, well, everybody's going to bring something to this film. I'm bringing this. Because we're people and we have experiences and you can't just shut that off no matter how much you try. That's usually what we talk about when we talk about uh, objectivity and subjectivity. But in context of what we're talking about now... It's interesting because one thing that you and I try to do, I think you, you started and I, I, I started to see the, uh, the wisdom in this, which is trying, trying to avoid marketing, uh, mm-hmm. specifically trailers, before you go into a film. Um, and that's to try to go in with fresh eyes or not to have a preconceived idea of what it is any more than you already will have. And – it's all, I do recognize that to a certain extent, a film should exist in a vacuum. I could see people saying that. It's like, you know, you can't – I've heard people say like you can't compare this film to you know, these other films or other films of the genre. Or you can't compare it to other films by this filmmaker or whatever. I've heard that sort of thing. Like you need to judge the film on its own merits. And the more the, – the older I get – and this is something I feel like would, would be – would roll into that uh, that episode that we might do someday of like how being a critic has changed the way I, I watch film. It is that attitude to me sounds a lot like, and I'm sorry, everybody, this might uh, bother you. I don't mean to be over, uh, overtly political, but in high school, everybody saying, I said it too. If it were a perfect world, communism would work. Mm-hmm. It isn't, and it doesn't. Okay, like it's never going to be a perfect world Uh ever. Thus, communism doesn't work. There's always greed. Like Mm -hmm. it's just it it really only takes one powerful person to fuck it all up. Uh And it's and there's always going to be that. There's always going to be one person who decides, you know what? I don't think I want to have the same thing that everybody else has. I want a little more. I don't mean to, you know, I, I don't mean to say that from a like conservative standpoint. I mean, I, I I thought this back when I was more moderate, more liberal. It's this, but it's it's this thing that people just constantly say that we just sort of take for granted. It's like it's a good idea. Were the circumstances this? The circumstances will never be that. So it's a good idea in a vacuum. And in the same way, I feel like if I've seen. All of the movies of Orson Welles, and I go into F for Fake or Mr. Arcaden, mm-hmm. and I know that he's directed it. I can't. Yes, part of me feels like, oh, I should, I should view this movie on its own merits. I can't. I, I can't do it. You, if you know, if you already have an opinion, you already have a memory or a, or a feeling, an emotional connection to a, a, the films of a director. Or, or it could be like you're seeing a film of a specific genre and you've seen other films of that genre. You can't turn that off. And I've gotten to a point I don't want to turn it off. Yeah, I don't think you should have to. I mean I think there's – there are things that I do try to put out of my mind even though I know you can't entirely mm-hmm. um, that have more to do with yeah, news or marketing or also what I know about the people involved in the film apart from their work. You know, mm-hmm. I, I tried to be as objective as possible. I think the go-to Battleship Retention uh, example is Mel Gibson. There you go. Um, because I am a fan of him as a director. We both we both are. Yeah. We de- de- uh, dedicated, not dedicated, devoted a whole episode to, to him. We didn't dedicate the episode to him. <laughs> um, I like to think every episode is dedicated to him. <laughs> um, uh, so I, I try to put out of my mind uh, 
to the extent that I can what I know about him. Mm-hmm. It becomes particularly hard to do when I see what I uh, view as anti-Semitism in Passion of the Christ. Right. It, it becomes hard to put that out of my, out of my mind. But um, I do make that effort you're talking about. Yeah. Whereas I think with the um, the reputation within their work, I don't uh, – I do try to find the middle ground, like I said, but I don't try that hard to not think about uh, previous films. When I, um, I don't, I, when I saw Young Adult – uh, which I really enjoyed. I don't know how much of a chance we had, we got to talk about it on the podcast, but I really enjoyed Young Adult. Um, I kept thinking to myself how much, uh, how far I feel Diablo Cody had come as a screenwriter. Right. Um, and that went into my opinion of the film, and I don't think that that's, that's wrong. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, you mentioned the the... Kino Blu-rays that you got from the Redemption series, mm-hmm. uh, specifically that one filmmaker whose name I already forget. Jean Roland. Okay. And I recently, too recently, uh, I'm about a week late, uh, posted a review of Criterion's David Lean directs Noel Coward. Mm-hmm. And, and well, it's, it's like five films, right? It's four. Four films. You but still had- a lot of special features. Yeah, it took you a while. Yeah. And so um, I, I, do have, I do have a job. And I'm not. I, I don't feel like the need to be as strict with release dates on the website with home video stuff because yeah. it's once always it's available, available. It's going to be available for a while. Yeah. Whereas some of the smaller uh, releases, the edge releases that we review, might only be playing for a week. Uh, you know, in, yeah, a, yeah. in a given in a given market. So I like to get those up right away. Um, but it's you know it's it's. <laughs> Initially, I was a bit frustrated because it's just like, well, great, my DVD collection is alphabetical. Where do I put this set called David Lean directs Noel Coward? So I decided to just put it in the D's. Yeah. But not the L. Did you consider the L's? I considered the L's, but I decided uh, the D because it's a whole phrase. You know what is the toughest thing for me that I still – I committed to this years ago. I still doubt myself every time I go past it in my record collection. Hmm. John Spencer Blues Explosion. I have it under S. Oh, but I don't know if that's right. I'd go J. Would you? Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, so like, I was frustrated that they called it that, but that's what it needs to be uh-huh. because in watching these films, you see, like, these are the first films that David Lean had made. Mm-hmm. He was an editor before that, mm-hmm. and so, and these films were Noel Coward's first for a. Not first, but like as a full-fledged writer in film. This is in, in which we serve Blythe, Blythe Spirit, Brief Encounter, and This Happy Breed. This Happy Breed. And you watch – and so the, the point of it is to appreciate these films individually but also watch the emergence mm-hmm. of David Lean and Noel Coward and see how the two of them work together. And it's just really interesting. And if I, for example, if I had watched Blythe Spirit on its own, I'd say, this is a delightful little film. Mm-hmm. Watching all four of them, knowing that they all came out within like two years of each other, I see that and say, hey, look who didn't want to put this on screen. Like it's, you, you, look, at, you look at the virtuoso filmmaking of David Lean in, in which we serve, this Happy Breed, Brief Encounter, this Happy Breed and Brief Encounter are not epic films. Mm-hmm. You would think there's not a lot of directorial flourish to it, but there is. There isn't that much. There's a little bit here and there, but there isn't that much to Blythe Spirit. And you can tell just by watching it that David Lean wasn't that into it. And then I watched the special features and the, the expert says, David Lean never liked this play. And it's like, I can tell. Yeah. But I could only really tell in the context. In, in context of the other films. Do you, by the way, you and I in film school took a class on David Lean. Yeah. In which we both saw Hobson's Choice. Mm-hmm. Um, a part of me was very glad when Criterion put out Hobson's Choice. Like, that's awesome. More people should see this. A part of me was like, oh, but that was like the cool little David Lean film that I would recommend to people. Like, I bet you haven't heard of this one. <laughs> so I lost some of my cachet when Criterion put out Hobson's Choice. Is did they put out summertime? Uh, yeah. They okay. Did. All right. Because that was one that when I would t- in spite of the presence of uh, Catherine Hepburn, mm-hmm. a surprising number of people don't really know that know about it, uh, like film people. But then Criterion put it out, and yeah, yeah. Criterion just ruins everything for everybody, <laughs> doesn't it? But um, but yeah, and so I feel like uh, summertime is um, 
notable for being in color, but not being one of the David Lean epics. Right. And, but that, and, uh, this happy breed is in color. Oh, I didn't know that. And it's, that it's in beautiful color. Mm. Um, but it's by no means epic. It's based on a play and it, it mostly takes place in one location and he does amazing things with that location, but we're getting off topic. Yeah. Yeah. But like, that's the thing is, is that if I had not, some of this is like reputation is also, one could also say it's a function of context, like putting something in the proper context based on what, based on what you already know about it. Mm-hmm. And so if I, my view of Blythe Spirit is completely different because of, well, the general reputation of both of these men in general, but then also within the context of them working together and knowing what I knew going into this set. And so, and, and I'm, I'm fine with that. Like some, some people might say, well, yeah, but a movie that you otherwise would have really liked now you only think is okay. Mm-hmm. You've ruined the film for yourself. It's like, have I, or do I have a deeper understanding of what it was always going to be? Yeah. I think that's, I don't know. I think that's part of just dedicating yourself to an analytical view of cinema, which is kind of what we do. It's kind of what we've made our mission statement here by doing topics like this i suppose but does that i'll uh i'll ask this and i've said it on the on the show before um that you know you i've run across people who say like can you ever just enjoy a movie can you ever just watch a movie and they don't say it in a demeaning way it's just a it's a Mm -hmm. it's a question just a just a very frank question and and I, I think, yes, I think I can still let myself get lost in a film. I can too, but I, I mean, I, I enjoy watching films the way that I do. Right. But like, and that's the thing. I'm not talking about pure enjoyment. I mean, like just letting myself get swept up in it. I'm not really thinking about a specific shot or something like that. Mm-hmm. Not that I think that much about it anyway, but like, you know, like a good performance, I've said this before as well. To me, like a good performance is like you watch and you're like, man, that's amazing. A great performance is you're not saying anything. You're just swept up in the emotion. Mm-hmm. And so okay, – I guess I see that. But I, I don't know. I can walk and chew gum at the same time. I think I can also get swept up in something and recognize like, oh, that shot uh, was you know clearly inspired by something that uh, you know Francis Lawrence did in The Great Constantine. <laughs> And I and I think and and I think I'm getting there as well. Um, I think it used to be one or the other for me, and seldom both. But I think I'm getting to the point now where it's almost instinct of mm-hmm. oh, I rec- I recognize that, but it's not even a conscious thought. I recognize that it furthers my appreciation for it without distracting me from what I was already appreciating. Mm-hmm. That's that's a side note. I'm sorry that I that I took us in that direction, but um, but yeah, uh, you know it's. It, to talk to go back to the actual idea of of reputation before the show for reasons that i won't go into we were talking about the movie the firm uh-huh. and i said it was good and you said understandably so really that's what you said but i was just surprised i wasn't and judging what, i have not seen it and i but why did you say well, like why did you say really because in my mind in my memory i feel like the impression that I've gotten is that people don't like the firm. And that's the thing. Whether it be the firm or whatever, John Grisham. That's okay. that's the Maybe reputation that's of and, and there's Do I like a, any of his movies? I kinda like the runaway runaway jury. It's all right. We talk, uh well you I don't think you'd gotten there yet. I had a I had a barbecue this past weekend and uh we actually talked about uh runaway jury. Uh it came up. Wow. That is weird. Yeah, that's not a movie that comes up easily. But uh, I'll, I'll make reference to a scene in uh, Third Rock from the Sun, uh-huh. where the family, who are all aliens, for those that don't know the uh, premise for Third Rock from the Sun, they're all aliens, and they decide they want to be normal Americans. And so they're all dressed. So they move into this completely generic house and they all dress in a completely generic way and they're all reading separate john grisham novels and uh and that's the thing is that and so they're all sitting down around their living room and they all like pick up their books and they they all squint at them and then they look over and then they just all exchange books with each other because they're all and the the implication is they're all interchangeable Uh and so 
Um, so that's the reputation that John Grisham has, is that mm-hmm. he is perfectly fine, disposable fiction. One is just like the other. They're fun reads, and then, they're, then you won't think about them again. And I think that reputation rolls over into the, into the movies to the point where when I say The Firm, your instinct is probably at the very least disposable, and disposable is probably pretty bad. Um, and so like only when I only when I say like who directed it, who's in it, who mm-hmm. co-wrote it, it does it start to be because then the reputation of those artists come right. in and kind right. of overwhelm the Grishamiest, uh, the, the Grishamness of it. <laughs> so uh, now I want to talk about something uh, sort of the the opposite. Um and I don't think that I – in fact, I'm sure I don't do this. But do you ever find yourself watching something that everyone has told you is good with almost like a chip on your shoulder? Like, oh, yeah. Uh, I, do, I, I don't think I do this. I think I actually have the problem of feeling guilty about not liking something that everyone likes. Like uh, I think one uh, – that a movie that you like that I have a lot of problems with is The Hustler. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I – I find it a little, a little too overwrought. I know part of that is the context of the time, and that's and the nature of that you, story. It is it yeah. is melodramatic, uh, and that is something you have to take into consideration. I think if you're viewing films the, in the way that we are, mm-hmm. um, but yet, I mean, despite Jackie Gleason being just out of the world amazing yeah. in the movie, uh, I don't find myself enjoying it uh, overall. Um, and I have, I think I have, I have guilt about that. I think hmm. it's taken me, I'm not even sure I'm there yet, but it's taken me half my life to decide how I feel about Gone with the Wind. Hmm. Uh, and like I said, I don't even know if I'm there. I need to watch it again if I, next time I have four hours. Um, cause it's, there are things about Gone with the Wind that I love so, so much. And there are things that my more sophisticated film watching and analyzing brain tells me are stupid and cheesy and cheap. Yeah. Uh, so I have a, a, a weekly movie night with my friends and, uh, in, involved in this uh, movie night is, uh, Scott Nye and, uh, Kyle Anderson. And, uh, and the way we've been doing it is, uh, each person, we all take, uh, a turn watching uh picking the movie and so uh one week we wound up watching um branded to kill mm-hmm. which is uh, uh now does uh, the person pick a movie they love that they think other people should see or a movie they haven't seen that they want to see one or the other oh okay. um and so uh and and you and usually it's uh you know kind of trying to mix it up like last like the last one i picked was babe picking uh, pig in the city mm-hmm. which i had never seen and you loved i loved and can't blame you it's an the, awesome movie it's a great movie and uh and yeah that was coincidentally i had wa- rewatched it for the first time in years the night before yeah that's very strange um but the so branded to kill i, I did not like and i now i can be very neurotic anyway but it's a Criterion release. <laughs> that in itself adds an air, adds a certain reputation of artistic distinction. And I'm sitting there not enjoying the film. And it, by the way, there's some good stuff in it. There's some really interesting stuff in it. But for the most part, it's just like uh, this is ridiculous and crazy, and I don't like it. What is wrong with me? Like that's and I got real like I it threw me into like existential dread. Mm-hmm. I like full disclosure like I thought about taking a month off of the podcast because <laughs> I thought I didn't deserve to have a podcast like that. Like it can it can it can cause that. Well, let me talk about Criterion. Okay, because here's there are there are Criterion films that I uh, don't like. That girl. Yes. Well, there are things that they do when they do sometimes more recent films based on their reputation. I'm more likely I – I find that that has a lesser track record with me and that's pretty much what, what Fat Girl was. It was it was 
a fairly recent film when they put it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like, I've liked, um, well, I liked the sleeping beauty, which is not to be confused with sleeping beauty with Emily Browning mm-hmm. that everyone says is horrible. That didn't, I, I didn't see, but Catherine, I never know how to say her last name. Brele. I don't know how oh, to say yeah. it. Uh, her most recent film is the sleeping beauty and it's awesome. Uh, you can read my review of the DVD on battleship Um, so I feel like I'm in the clear on her uh, on the, on not liking Fat Girl, even though it's in the Criterion Collection. Mm. Um, and I mean, I'm kind of joking. It's okay to I think it's fine to dislike films in the Criterion Collection. Um, but also, Criterion will do this thing we're talking about: put out a bunch of films by a director, or put mm-hmm. out, um, you know, it, uh, another one that I saw and wrote a. Uh, negative review of on the website um, was Michelangelo Antonioni's identification of a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not good. It's not a good movie. Uh, there are some touches where you're like, oh, that's in Antonio and that's uh, and, and I can't say his last name. Antonioni? Antonioni. Um, I, yeah, okay. Um, there are things you can point at that, you know, uh, clearly you know, representative of his style, but overall it's just not a good movie it's mm-hmm. self-indulgent it was i think made by someone who was approaching dirty old manness and just wanted <laughs> lots of <laughs> naked young women in, in his movie um but i think i don't fault criterion for putting it in their collection because it is part of the story of this great director mm-hmm. and so i think i mean i don't think that lawrence kasdan will ever be thought of as um as an antonioni I should have picked somebody else. I should have picked somebody whose fucking name I can say um, <laughs> to say over and over again. But I do think that um, Lawrence Kasdan's career is of interest, both as a director and as as a as a screenwriter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in that way, I don't think that Dreamcatcher is a film that should be skipped or forgotten completely. It's interesting because of the other films by the person who made it. It was also co-written by uh, what's his name, like the great screenwriter guy. Oh yeah, William Goldman. William Goldman. Yeah, yeah. Um, we did a profile on him once. Did we? Yeah. Eey. Who wrote Lord of the Flies? William Golding. Golding. Okay. Because yeah. I almost said William Golding, and yeah, I was a like, different I don't thing. think that's him. Um, <laughs> he really. Uh... It's late and it's hot in here. My memory is not sorry, not working very well. You don't need to apologize for the weather. No, I apologize for my apartment. Okay. Um, wait, did you turn the heat on? Is that what's going on Oh, uh, the heat hasn't worked in here for years. <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I think I was at a natural stopping point and then I blew it by joking around with stuff here. But, yeah, um, these lesser films by good directors are important because they're by mm-hmm. good directors. I don't think you should skip them just because they didn't work out. But it's interesting. Okay, so let me ask you this. Domino. There's a film, I think, uh, is awful. But I am a person who finds Tony Scott endlessly endlessly interesting as as a director. Um, And so I... I, There's almost nothing at all I liked about Domino, but I could write a whole bunch about it Mm -hmm. because of how I feel about Tony Scott and how I feel that its themes work into his other themes, particularly contextually with uh with man on fire mm-hmm. um i think those films uh make uh quite a good double feature uh in terms of uh ruminations on violence and i think to to go to the the reputation thing i mean it's uh i don't know it's you give it, we, we've used the term pass, like you give someone a pass, and that's not what I'm referring to. But you w- I feel like you will give some a film a second look, not, not, not unlike when you, know, when you feel bad for not liking something that everybody else likes because it's like all these people like this and I don't. Am I missing something? Like, whereas if you, were the only, if, if you only had your, your opinion – if you existed in a vacuum or if mm-hmm. you were just, uh, you know, ignorant of, of any of the film's reputation or the director's reputation, you would wa- you could watch that and say, oh, that wasn't very good. But the reputation 
kicks in and what you know about the film or the director kicks in and suddenly you give it another look, that can be a good thing mm-hmm. where, where you suddenly are, you're like, this, this doesn't seem right, but I've liked this person's other films. And also I know what he's trying to do with his career. How does this fit into that? Because he wouldn't do this if accidentally. Mm-hmm. And, but I think that can be a bad thing too. And I think it's, it's, it's entirely possible for a director to coast on the reputation. Um, although at the, at the moment I can't <laughs> think of anybody. I mean, you know, uh, Woody Allen for a long time, uh, was doing that in the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. just this idea of like doing a movie a year and, and people, first off you had a reputation for doing a movie a year and people, it, it, people cut him slack for that. They said like, well, you know, when you do a movie a year, they can't all be great. And it's like, well, then perhaps he should stop doing a movie a year. <laughs> but people, but that's his reputation. And mm-hmm. so people forgave that. And so his filmography is filled with a lot of clunkers mm-hmm. because people, they didn't give him a pass, but they, they cut him slack that perhaps he shouldn't have been cut because they just accepted this as a fact of who he was as a director. I don't know. I think it's, I think it, it Accountability can be a good thing and when you bank too much on somebody's reputation or a film's reputation, I think uh, I think accountability can kind of lessen a little bit. Well, um, we should wrap up because we started late. Um, but I was just thinking now of – trying to think of directors who late in their filmography came up came out with a film that made me – sit up and pay attention and maybe actually want to go back and watch things I hadn't liked earlier. And the one that leapt to mind for me actually was David Fincher. Mm. Um, and I, but I, I know a lot of people disagree with me. A lot of people really um, think he's fantastic. I know there's a big push to get the game in the criterion collection. Is um, there? Yeah. I like the game. I, enjoy I don't, it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> um, even though I enjoyed, um, I enjoyed Seven, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't think it was a great or important film. Right. And I don't know if it is now, but when I saw Zodiac um, and saw him make a truly visionary uh, artistic work mm-hmm. that I think is a film that, whereas I think his other films to me were maybe okay for their time, but wouldn't wouldn't prove resilient, wouldn't hold up right. decades down the line. I think, assuming there isn't some sort of you know apocalypse or asteroid or anything, fingers um, crossed. Uh, Fifty years from now, people who care about cinema will be talking about Zodiac. Uh, I think it's that great and that important, um, and. Uh, it makes me actually want to go back and watch some of those films that I didn't like as much, like a panic room or a fight club, mm-hmm. um, or even the game. Uh, um, because I also know that it, I definitely paid attention to the girl with the dragon tattoo in a different way than I would have. I didn't see Benjamin button, but I think I, 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 I never, I haven't seen it uh-huh. and I never remember it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, he jumped from Zodiac to social network as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Social network also a, re- a really, really good film. Um, not as good as Zodiac, but very good. Mm. And, but, but I, yeah, I do find myself, this ties back into the topic and maybe will be a good place to start wrapping up. Um, I, I did think maybe more deeply and more seriously while watching the girl with the dragon tattoo than I might have if I hadn't seen Zodiac in the social network. Hmm. Now let me ask you this up until there will be blood and to a certain extent uh, punch drunk love but there will be blood was a film that got you to sit up and pay attention well i know i think i was paying attention after punch drunk love okay i, I mean i think there will be blood is the masterpiece of his right. career um i mean that's i, I, mean, I don't mean to say that with finality like he's never going to make anything that great i would right i hope against hope that his next films are that good um but yeah, I think I was definitely paying attention after Punch Drunk Love because okay. that's another – I don't want to just talk about contrarians. I'm trying to think of an example of someone who was like generally thought of as a not good or at least not remarkable director who made something brilliant 
Well, uh, I already mentioned this uh, a couple weeks ago with uh, Colin, but Kevin Smith, while I would not say that uh, Red State is a masterpiece, Uh but it is so, so different. And he has clearly invested so much of his own philosophy and his own passion. He put he really put it into that film, and it and it was just unlike anything he had ever done before. And he was clearly out of his comfort zone. And it got I don't think it gets me to rethink what he's done before, but it did for a short time. It got me thinking. It got me thinking, maybe he's been trying to incorporate this into his other films. I mean, there's stuff like Dogma and all that, but uh, I don't know. He's somebody who people recognize that he's not a very good filmmaker, but also that he just kind of had this dumb kind of stoner mentality, this man-child mentality. And then this comes along, and I don't think it makes me rethink his previous work, but it makes me rethink him. And Mm. what he's willing to do and what he wants to do. Because up until then, I'd say he wants to make movies that don't mean anything. That's what he wants to do. Mm. And movies that are fun, not for me, but other people enjoy them and, you know, good for him. But then that comes along. It's like, oh, he wants to do something different. And maybe he always wanted to do something different and just hasn't gotten the opportunity. So. Are you, the opportunity. are you excited to see Hit Somebody? Uh, his, to a certain extent. His final film, if he's to be believed. Whatever. <laughs> I, I hate to put it that way, but people are always retiring and then not. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see it, yeah. And I guess that's that speaks to mm-hmm. the the power of uh, of Red State. Again, deeply flawed film, but but yeah, like... His image, his reputation, for me, has changed a little bit. That's how powerful that film was that I'm actually looking forward to, or at least I'm, I'm anticipating, whether I see it or not, who knows, but I'm anticipating what he will do next because he took such a, such a left turn. So I don't know. I, I think that's – is that an example of what you're talking about? Except – Again, not everybody. Yeah, I don't know. Some people think Red State is is awful. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I really am trying to rack my brain to think of. Well, anyway, well, listeners, you've, you've got your uh, Uwe Boll with Postal. But I don't think Postal, people still say Postal's. No, I yeah. think Postal maybe like you do Red State. Although you kind of liked Red State. Um, I like. Yeah, I don't think Postal is a good film, but I think it's a fascinating one that people mm. should should check out. Uh, you know, that's how I feel about Zack Snyder. I don't think he makes good films, but I think you were, you owe it to yourself to see them because no one else is doing what yeah. he does. Yeah. Um, so if, uh, listeners, if you can think of anyone who, um, was written off and then made a great film late in life, email it to David at battleship com, Or you can tweet um, him. Yeah, tweet me at at the pretension. And if you just want to know my thoughts and other people, such as the thoughts of other people, such as Tyler and Scott and Matt and Kyle and other people we mentioned here today, Mm -hmm. you can head to battleshipretension.com and read all sorts of reviews and other other features. Um, We really really have some great stuff. Honestly, it's, uh, yeah, uh, that, it was something I was thinking uh, about today as I was posting, uh, today is uh, Thursday, but as I was posting various articles and, uh, and I thought like, you know, we have, and, and I'm sorry that this uh, is like us like patting ourselves and each other on the back. But we're mostly just trying to get you to go to the website. <laughs> yes, but also it's, it's one of the things like, I, I so seldom take any pride in what I do. <laughs> um, I try to do it well, but once it's done, it's just like, yeah, okay, there's that. Uh, that as I was posting stuff, I was just like, oh, so I'm posting my review of Think Like a Man, uh-huh. but then I was also posting, you know, uh, reviews of like much smaller films, and and I'm yes, I'm very I'm very proud of of our bloggers and, and yeah. of the site itself, especially those videos. Check those out, please. Yeah, check those out. Click on the YouTube link or, or just click video and watch them there on the website. Uh, that's at battleshippretension.com. I gave you uh, my um, 
Twitter, uh, which is at the pretension. I gave you my email, which is David at battleship pretension.com. Tyler's email is Tyler at battleship pretension.com. His Twitter is twitter.com slash more lessons, which is the official Twitter of his other podcast, more than one lesson, which you can find at more than one lesson.com point of order. Tyler. Indeed. Uh, over more than one lesson.com. We've put out, uh, uh, two episodes within two weeks. That is very rare. It's at this point, it's a, uh, twice a month, uh, show, but, um, the, fr- but I, I want people to listen to them. Uh, one is the most recent one is for a film called blue like jazz, which is a Christian film that is, uh, very much unlike other Christian films. Oh, did you actually get to see it? I did get to see it. And, uh, I will talk to you about it off mic. And it is an interesting film. Um, so we compare that to Vim Vendor's Paris, Texas, um, which, by the way, it's not as good as Paris, Texas. Um, <laughs> and then uh, last week we reviewed uh, the John Hillcote film The Proposition and mm-hmm. compared that to The Godfather. So I would really appreciate anybody uh, who would go over to morethanonelesson.com and give those a listen. Yeah, it's worth it. It's a great show. Um, Thank you. My other podcast is the weekly television review show, which you should also be listening to because we've revamped the format, so there are no spoilers until the last segment. So you've got no reason not to listen now. <laughs> previously on, previously on show dot com. So uh, thanks everyone for listening to us, and we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.